Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery. And that is why the Machinery Digest exists. A no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Idle Chatter. I'm Ray Bohax, your host, and as always, coming to you from Cat Swamp Road in Warren County, New Jersey. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Many of you may not know that, but if you've been listening to my show, I guess that I'm drilling that into you. But uh, I'm hopefully you're having a good day today, and I know that uh, the sun is shining here, and we had a little bit of snow and ice the other day, which is crazy. But uh, it's about, last time I looked at the thermometer, it's about 60 degrees, so it's not too bad. But I had, before I get in today's, into today's show, which I am calling Imploding Concern. Usually I don't have the title of the show defined in my mind before I do it, record it. And then before it gets sent over to Susan Moore in Georgia, who is my web internet podcast guru, and she uh, puts the uh, the opening and the closing on it, and then gets it whatever she has to do to it to get it posted, so that it goes out to all the different networks, then, and you could listen to it, I, uh, that's when I think of the title, but today I have the title all in my mind, and it's about pump cavitation. So I'm calling it imploding concern because as a uh, heads up on that, actually what cavitation is, it's the, uh, it's the crashing of vapor bubbles into the pump housing and impeller. But we're going to get into that. But before we do that, you know, years ago, I, when I had my engine shop, I worked with uh, a fellow, his car ran out of my shop, Bernie Golick, and we had a, a Mustang a 5.0, well, it was, the class was called a Pro 5.0. The motor was actually a 355 Ford. It was a nitrous motor. But anyway, we put a data acquisition system on that. And you, you guys could as- associate with this, even if you're not a drag racer or a car guy, because a lot of, of there's so much data today in agriculture. Everything is, you know, the, it's data-driven decisions, data from the combine, data from the planter, data from satellites, and the... Uh, you could very easily get overwhelmed with all of that data. And I remember when we first put the data acquisition on the Mustang and made a pass with it, we uh, looked at it and we really didn't know what we were looking at. And it was actually more confusing than it was uh, good. And it took a while for us to try to piece it together piece by piece and then use our intuition and the actual hardcore numbers and values and graphs to uh, make the car go faster or actually quicker. We really didn't pick up mile an hour. We picked up elapsed time. We shortened the distance to go the quarter mile. But, uh, you know, so that gets to be, you know, that is a double-sided sword. At first, 
it gets to be overwhelming and then you have to work your way through it and once you work your way through it it becomes a great great asset in no matter what you field you are looking at that information in. but anyway the reason why I'm telling you that is that I got this year I decided uh, to do a, a Haney test along with my complete soil test I used Midwest labs for my soil tests I've used them for a number of years now so I have good data with their extraction methods and then I said to myself I sent the test in and I usually do I think it's called their S S C three or three C or something their complete soil analysis with recommendations and uh, I sent that in and they're supposed to get it on a, last Monday and then I called them up Monday and I said you know I was thinking about it over the weekend I would like to do your Haney test your uh, soil health analysis also so they were nice enough to include that and then yesterday I got that back and oh boy it is like looking at the Mustang the first time we put the data acquisition on and I really have to uh, I'll give that to my agronomist which is over at the mill in Maryland that's my agro liquid dealer where I get my fertility program from a complete agro liquid fertility program no dry product is needed so uh, I sent it over to him to look at but what I was disturbed with uh, with the regular part of the soil test is that I lost organic matter I for eight years now I've been building organic matter by doing minimum slash no-till or conservation till and planting uh, cover crops a five-way mix of cover crops and you know not touching the soil and being very you know anal about that and every year my organic matter has gone up from around 1.7 1.9 to high twos I think the highest it was was 2.9 and that is why I refrained, which is really not good engineering, uh, refrained from doing a soil health test prior to this because I didn't want to uh, cringe when I saw the results. And so I figured, ah, I'm at the point now where I really improved the tilt of the soil and the organic matter is going up and my base saturation numbers are in line. So, hey, let's pull the trigger and do a soil health test and use this as the baseline. And I use the logic is that, hey, if the motor doesn't even run, let's not use that as a starting point, but let's get it to run and use that as a starting point. So metaphorically, I wanted to get my soil kind of fixed after we wrecked it for so many years of plowing and just doing antiquated procedures, and I felt that this was the year. But uh, the, Haney, the Haney test, I really don't understand the data, so I have to study that and learn a little bit more about that. But my organic matter went backwards, and... I'm back down to 1.9 to 2.1, and I don't understand why. So I uh, have some feelers out to some people. Uh, Chris K., who follows me on Twitter, real nice guy, he works for Tiva in Michigan, and uh, Michigan in Missouri, excuse me, and I'm uh, speaking to Midwest Labs, and my agronomist said that I su suggest that they maybe do that test again because that's quite a large drop in organic matter. Now, we did have a lot of rain this year, and we do have a sandy soil, and when the organic matter went down, so did my CEC, which is, I know CEC is a combination of uh, of the type of, so the type of clay, the amount of clay, and the amount of organic matter. So I could see that, and I'm wondering whether the organic matter is being driven further down into the soil profile, which they tell me would be good, 
uh, but in my zero to six I'm losing uh, organic matter so kind of disappointed on that but we'll see what the uh, the science holds and you know interestingly enough when I pulled that sample uh, the tilt of the soil is just beautiful so uh, that really kind of uh, leads us into today's talk about cavitation because just like my tilt of my soil seems beautiful and I've been doing everything properly and now I have a loss in organic matter well you could be doing everything properly and still a hydraulic pump on your uh, farm equipment could be suffering the wrath of cavitation and cavitation is sure death so we're going to get into that and talk about that today now as far as the farm is concerned is that we use the term cavitation both on an, in an engine cylinder liner cavitation but they put the uh, they call that cylinder liner cavitation erosion and then there's pump cavitation regardless of the type of cavitation and as I said today's talk will be on pump cavitation but regardless of that uh, all cavitation is is based upon the creation of vapor bubbles and those vapor bubbles are hitting a metal surface and actually starting to eat away at it. It's very hard for you to imagine that a vapor bubble can actually eat away steel and metal, but it does over time. It does not happen overnight, but it does over time. And with a diesel engine with a cylinder liner in it, it will actually over time put pinholes in the cylinder liner and then the coolant will mix in with the oil and actually has the ability to mix in with the uh, in the combustion chamber and as we all know a fluid cannot compress based upon how much fluid gets in there and if it's not burned off then we are bending a connecting rod and oftentimes throwing a rod through the side of the block which is not good big bucks and that tends to happen at the worst time right when you're in the middle of planting god forbid but that is cavitation uh cylinder cavitation uh erosion for a cylinder liner what today's talk is going to be based upon hydraulic pumps and hydraulic pumps on the farm specifically now let me start by giving you a a simple overview or segue into talking about hydraulic systems and as we know there are many pumps found on the farm and and each one is critical on a um, on a piece of modern equipment you'll have a number of hydraulic pumps and you may have a hydraulic pump doing something that's not actually running the tractor but is running let's say a uh, implement like a, a planter or a tool or what have you and uh, you know it, it and the thing is that we have to keep in mind that when we talk about pumps and we talk about cavitation it matters it it doesn't matter is what I'm trying to say whether we're talking about a coolant pump on an engine a hydraulic pump or anything any other application you know, a broken pump any type of pump unless you have a backup type piece of equipment will very quickly bring your whole entire operation to a standstill and we do not want that because uh, as you are well aware 
that everything on the farm and i like to look at it that everything is like an emergency vehicle that it needs to work when it needs to work because we have a very short period of time in most instances to accomplish the tasks that we need to do and specifically like with planting we have that short window to get the optimal uh, growth and yield from that plant and then we cannot control what's going to happen if we miss that if we miss that optimal window and to fix something regardless of what it is then, then we have rain for the next five days and you can't get in the field then that that really extrapolates out and hurts your bottom line through your yield and you know i don't want to th- imply that a pump can only fail through cavitation I mean, a pumpkin failed due to age and use. A bearing could go bad, a seal could go bad. But the reality is that most pumps, hydraulic pumps, are murdered. They're snatched from their prime with much life left in them, and, and that murderer of the is cavitation. And most of us have experienced at some particular time operating a piece of equipment, a pump that is that vibrates excessively, is hammering, it's groaning, it's whistling, it's whining. And if you did ever experience that, which I'm sure most of you did, even if it could only be for a minute or so, that actually is the sound, the voice of cavitation. So now what we need to do is we need to give an actual definition of cavitation so you could have that. I gave a, a very simplistic definition in the beginning, and uh, we're going to go into a little bit more detail. Pump cavitation truly describes the formation of bubbles, or sometimes they're referred to as cavities, in the bulk fluid being moved, and it usually develops around a low pressure area. So now, when defining cavitation, we call it the bulk fluid because it makes no difference if it's a mix of products through a sprayer whether it's liquid fertilizer, whether it's coolant through an engine, whether you're pumping oil, hydraulic oil, or what have you. So the bulk fluid is what the industry uses as the term for the fluid that is being moved. And the cavitation is basically the result of either an entrained gas in the liquid, and what entrained means, it's a technical term for having air bubbles inside the liquid. So if you were to ever have a, uh, let's say, put a piece of clear line onto a uh, fuel system on a car, or on a gas car, meaning a gasoline engine or on a diesel engine, there's lots of times you'll see little air bubbles in there. And those air bubbles are what is called entrained air. So entrained meaning that it is not external, it's not on the top of the fluid, it's part of the flow. So if you were to... Uh, Actually, if you had an aquarium or had an aquarium as a kid and you had a uh, aeration system for the fish and the aeration system was usually a combination of a filter and an aerator and you would see the bubbles coming up from the bottom where the filter was into the air into the air into the water is that those would be considered entrained bubbles because they're surrounded by the liquid so an entrained gas and in engineering parlance and engineering talk a a gas is something that is in a rarefied form so we use the term gas saying that it's entrained but it's usually it could be an entrained air pocket it could be an entrained gas from the boiling of a fluid or what have you so the term entrained and gas 
works together in this definition to encompass any bubbles that are originate that are found in the bulk fluid so in this in the uh, in the middle I'll say of the fluid meaning the middle that it's surrounded by the liquid Oftentimes, I have to talk a little bit more with this show because if I was giving a presentation, then I would have a slide, a PowerPoint slide of N-trained gas, and I would have to talk about three minutes trying to explain it to you. So, and so we'll start again that the cavitation is the result of either an N-trained gas in the liquid from the vapor pressure being exceeded or from a lack of flow. So, in essence... Cavitation is either caused by the the bulk the, the bulk the bulk fluid either being raised to a point in temperature that it starts to vaporize that would be the vapor pressure or from a lack of flow so the the feed and the flow is not constant so you're actually sucking air from the pipe or the line or the tank or what have you. So that is how cavitation occurs. So it's either through teething of the fluid or sucking of air. Simple, simple way, far more way to look at it. We don't need to overcomplicate it. Now, when the vapor bubbles collapse, and the term that they use is collapse or implode. So exploding means it blows up externally. So if you see a, you know, you blow up something with a piece of dynamite, it goes outward from the blast. Imploding goes inward. So when the vapor bubbles collapse or implode, believe it or not, they strike at the speed of sound. And depending upon the atmospheric conditions, we'll say it's around 600-something miles an hour, right? 670 miles an hour, 700 miles an hour. We'll use 700 for easy arithmetic, but, you know, if somebody's an engineer out there listening, I know that the speed of sound changes with the density of the atmosphere, the temperature, and what have you. So when those vapor bubbles collapse or implode actually collapse and imploding is defining the same thing imploding more of a technical term based upon the pressure differential when they collapse that actual movement of that collapsing so like if you were to see uh, a picture or watch somebody take down like a silo or take down a building and they place some charges and it implodes into itself and it collapses. so basically in essence the weight of let's say the bricks that held that building up it would be traveling uh, akin to this at the speed of sound it doesn't happen with a building but when the vapor bubble collapses it does and that creates the noise and the vibration that you feel in the pump in the hydraulic system it starts to make noise and it can make a hammering noise which is actually the bubbles imploding and collapsing right and hitting the metal surfaces and it it usually shakes has a what we would call an engineering harmonic a vibration and this collision, the actual collision, is powerful enough because of it happening with such velocity, with such speed, that it will erode the surfaces of the pump and the, impe- and the impeller. And then the harmonic strikes, the harmonic attacks, the vibration, will, not, will impact the bearing, the shaft alignment, and the seal. Because if you have this... this um, this shaft and it's vibrating and the impeller is vibrating and you have to look at it the shaft is smaller than the impeller so actually when we have the cavitation at the extremities of the impeller it actually leverages the shaft out and shakes it so much 
then it, uh, and it it impacts the bearing because now we're putting this vibration and this harmonic into this bearing in the pump and we're moving it all around and then also the seal most pumps use a lip style seal and what you're doing is the shaft is moving and everything is shaking and you're moving away from the 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 rubber or the neoprene lip that rides on that shaft and then it starts to wear it at an exponential rate so in essence during cavitation a pump is destroying itself so you need to keep that uh you need to keep that in mind that the sound of cavitation or the uh the harmonic at that particular point it's like grinding gears in a transmission it's destroying itself now the caveat being is that how long are you going to grind those gears if you grind those gears once accidentally then uh then you're really not going to do much damage if you do it continuously so a short duty cycle of cavitation though not good not adding any life to that pump also is in reality is not truly a detriment to if it cavitates for a couple of seconds or for a minute or so but if this is continual cavitation you will eat away the pump and that is why it is so important that when you have a pump fail on something and the failure could be a bearing or the failure could be a seal only because you know as an aside to this you have a big piece of farm equipment you can't hear every pump i mean you're you're riding in a cab but the tractor or the combine or the sprayer and even if you not don't have the air conditioning on and you don't have the radio on or you're not listening you're not talking to someone or listening to idle chatter podcast you are well insulated from a lot of the pumps uh that are running so you may not be able to hear it but if you have let's say a uh, pump hooked up to a pto on a tractor you could hear that or if you have a hydraulic pump on a tractor that has a loader on it or three-point hitch you could usually hear that but on a bigger piece of equipment with an insulated cab and other noises going on it's it's very easy for you not to hear that so the thing is that when you do have a pump failure and i may be getting a little bit ahead of myself here but when you do have a pump failure what you need to do if at all possible you need to take that pump apart and it's even if it's a seal failure you need to take that pump apart but if it's specifically a bearing or a shaft that gets elongated or out around it become and and uh rotates in the in the ellipse now as egg shaped you need to take that apart and you need to look because then what would you be looking at is that you would see either pockmarked or missing pieces of metal on the impeller or the volute the housing that the impeller rides in so if you see this so lots of times so it'd be akin to let's say your wife is going to town and she gets a flat tire if you get a flat tire and you stop and you take the tire off and put the spare on it unless the tire was damaged to the sidewall you would be able to patch that tire and put it back into service if you keep riding on that tire then what's going to basically happen is the rim is going to cut up cut up the tire and the tire is going to be junk and if you continue to ride on it you're going to destroy the rim so we have to look at is that why did this pump fail why is this shaft so worn why is uh why did the bearing fail why is the seal leaking now i'm not saying if it's got a zillion hours on it that cannot happen or you happen to be pumping something through it that's very abrasive but it is a good idea to look inside 
And if you and if you're buying a new one or a reman one, if you're buying a new one and there's no core exchange, you don't even care. You don't have to worry about putting it back together. But if you're buying a reman one, you need to use it as a core. You just need to put it back together, put the bolts in, and they'll worry about it. But it's imperative. It would be akin to doing to doing a tissue sample on a pla- or let that's probably not even a better example would be doing an autopsy on a person to find out why they died. So we can't just assume that the pump failed or the shaft failed or the bearing or seal failed. Now, depending on the pump design, and there's so many different types of pump designs, but all of this is going to, about cavitation is applicable, and the operating characteristics, the bearing may be the first thing that fails. So that harmonic through that pump and through that shaft may take that bearing out first. And then what happens is that when that occurs is that it has excessive movement of the shaft and then a collision often happens with the impeller and the housing. So the so the harmonic from cavitation is taking out the taking out the bearing. The bearing now has a lot of play in it. The shaft is, is, is rotating in the ellipse and the clearance inside between the impeller and the housing for it to move the fluid has to be very tight and it basically hits the side and uh, inside the housing and busts the impeller and causes all type of damage. So keep in mind that a pump that has failed with a bearing first and then we'll say blew up, grenaded itself, usually caused that because of cavitation, just like the flat tire. The nail caused the flat tire, but by riding on it, you tore up the tire. The tire came apart, hit the fender, then the defender pulled the molding off and you kept riding and you ruined the rim. So now everything is wrecked, but the original cause of that happening was the nail in the tire. Now, if a system is expiring, expi- experiencing minor cavitation, then usually what you'll see is a decreased output or pressure. So it is important that you're very familiar and intimate with not only the sound of your pumps, if you can uh, hear them, the sound of your pumps, but also the pressure and flow characteristics of the pumps that are in use. And, you know, just being familiar with things and knowing how it behaves and knowing uh, how uh, something works and how it sounds is probably one of the best diagnostic tools you could have on the farm. And it's and it goes not even not just with machinery or pump cavitation, but with anything. I mean, if you're a dairy man and you know that this cow number, uh, you know, uh, one two a one two three, you know, usually likes to have this type of feed, or she does this, or she has that type of personality, and you see that her personality changed. Well, yeah, she's she's a living thing. Today she may not feel well, but you know, if you see that with starting to trend that way, then that's usually pretty good, pretty good indication that is something is going on with her health, just like a person. You could go to town and say, boy, raved at Hot Rod Farmer. We had coffee with him this morning. He, you know, his attitude changed or he wasn't that friendly today or what have you. And then usually that is an indication of something happening. And the same thing is with equipment. And, you know, the good thing about it is that you know cavitation that is caught in the early stages will have minimal to no impact on pump life and because this damage is done over time so it is imperative for you to be able to try to identify cavitation early on because it is going to be it's going to 
have a minimal amount of impact on that hydraulic system and that's really what we want it's the one time we ground we were grinding the gears shifting because we didn't put the clutch in all the way instead of doing that every day for many 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 miles or many hours already so we have that and now i'm going to go into the two types of cavitation so there is two different types of cavitation and they're identified by the side of the pump that evokes them so we have suction side cavitation and with the suction side cavitation that occurs when a pump is either under low pressure or excessive vacuum in essence the pump is being starved of liquid and is not being fed enough flow so think of you taking a a, uh, a straw in your mouth and you being able to suck with your mouth is the pump the suction side of the pump and you put the straw into a glass of water and you're sucking it up and we and we have a nice what we call head from the pump and you'll be able to suck and pull a lot of water through the capacity of that straw whatever the size of the straw is the capacity the flow capacity and now we start to click to to crimp the straw down in the middle well what's going to basically happen is you're going to be having to suck harder to try to get fluid up water up through that straw and eventually if you close it up enough you're going to be sucking so hard that you're going to be pulling some water and some and then a, a good degree of entrained air mixed in with the water bubbles into your mouth so a flow restriction or a lack of flow on the suction side is starving the pump for fluid and the liquid is not being fed when that occurs bubbles will form in the eye at around the eye of the impeller and with the eye of the impeller is where the shaft connects to the impeller so right close to that point where the shaft goes through the impeller is called the eye and as the bubbles start to move over to the discharge region of the region of the pump because we're still talking about suction side cavitation that what you'll have is the bubbles will start to move now to the discharge because some fluid is being being uh, moved but not enough there's entrained air from the restriction uh, <clears throat> the fluid condition is altered and the bubbles are compressed into a liquid causing them to implode against the face of the impeller so it's basically happening with taking these bubbles that have been created from a flow restriction or a lack of fluid coming into the suction side of the pump or closing off the straws we're trying to suck the water out of the glass and then what happens these bubbles are compressed by the impeller into into a liquid and then they implode they blow they they implode against the face of the impeller so an impeller that is experiencing suction side cavitation will have pieces of material missing now let me break away here what we're doing is we're talking about suction side uh, cavitation and historically historically you will see so if you take this pump apart and to do an autopsy on it right that usually you will see the impeller start to have pieces removed from it material missing or very pockmarked and that's you that is an that is a textbook indication of suction side 
cavitation. Now, keep in mind as we go on through the show today, you will see that as this that you it's possible to have both suction side and pressure side. But if you have the housing of the pump has no material missing, but the impeller does, that that's a very good indicator, a very good bet that you have suction side cavitation being evoked. Now, the opposite of suction side is discharge side. So now discharge cavitation is is in essence the mirror the mirror opposite of suction side. It's the result of discharge pressure being extremely high. So now we take that straw <coughs> on suction side, excuse me, we were sucking in the water from the glass. So now we have the water now we have we have we suck the water out and if we close the straw down we're creating cavitation we're in, having entrained air because we're limiting flow. Now let's say we have a garden hose and we have garden hose hooked up to the spigot and we start to squeeze the garden hose. There's no nozzle on it. But what's basically going to happen is we're going to restrict the flow and the pressure that is on the spigot side, the water feed side of the garden hose is going to elevate. And if the hose did not have a good structure to it, you would actually start to crimp it and you'd see the hose start to balloon out because the pressure is higher there. So discharge cavitation is the result of the discharge pressure being exaggerated extremely high so that it is difficult, almost impossible, for the liquid to vacate the pump. So now what we're doing is we're having like a sewer backed up, right? So now the liquid can't vacate the pump. The pump is pumping. It's mechanically hooked up to the engine. It's it's being driven at so much RPM. The impeller is spinning at so much RPM, and we can't let the flow out. We, we can't let the flow out. So what's happening is that the pressure is is increasing dramatically there. And then what happens now is that the fluid, whatever it may be, the bulk fluid, then circulates around the impeller. It's trying to it's churning there. It's churning because it can't get out. Only very little flow is getting out. Just think of like a a, a boiler without a pressure relief valve, right? It just keep boiling, boiling, boiling. I'm using the word boiling because that's exactly what happens. So this churning around the impeller and the housing causes a very high vacuum at the wall and the formation of bubbles. Now keep in mind as as an adjunct to this that the high vacuum not only creates the the uh, the bubbles because the formation of bubbles but the formation of bubbles is a result also of that a liquid boils at a lower temperature and we use the word vapor pressure when it goes from a liquid to a gaseous state a rarefied form when you put a pot of water on a stove is that the vapor pressure of water is around 212 degrees fahrenheit so at 212 degrees the water starts to boil and that is its vapor pressure all right so when it's going to start to create and then actually to true definition of vapor pressure is the amount of pressure that is created from the from the transition from a liquid to a rarefied form of gaseous state but so what's happening is we got this high vacuum area around around the uh, impeller of the pump 
and the housing and this is creating a vacuum so it's now is going to make the fluid the bulk fluid easier to boil because at atmospheric pressure water boils and we're using water as an example water boils around 212 degrees depending upon your altitude f 212 degrees f if you put water under 29 inches of vacuum which is what they basically do when they service an air conditioner system you put, you take the refrigerant out and you pull a vacuum on the system because water will boil at around 28 29 inches of vacuum at around 54 degrees f so if you were to take a mason jar with water in it and you put it and you and I did this on one of my TV segments for successful farming and I was filmed out at the University of Northwest Ohio and you put a vacuum pump put a nipple onto the lid of the mason jar seal it off put a vacuum pump on it put put a half a half a quarter liquid in it whatever you want all right so it does and to put a vacuum pump on it and cause a vacuum that 54 degrees that water will boil 54 degrees f because there's no pressure on it so this suction is now lowering the boiling point of the bulk fluid and creating these bubbles so it's very similar in fashion to suction side cavitation but discharge discharge side cavitation allows the imploding bubbles to create intense shock waves and it removes material from the housing and the impeller and in extreme discharge cavitation cases the impeller shaft may even break so it's very hard for you to believe but you could have this half inch three quarter of an inch steel shaft and you could have enough uh, enough discharge cavitation by having a blocked line or a restriction in the discharge line and you could cause enough harmonics in there to actually break that shaft and shatter it so to recap suction side cavitation is basically going to impact the impeller first and it's a restriction or a lack of fluid coming in on this in suction side and it has the entrained bubbles the entrained gas bubbles in the fluid whereas discharge side cavitation is a restriction of flow restriction on the output of the pump and what this is causing is the fluid to keep circulating around the impeller and the housing and a very high vacuum and at the at the wall at the extremities where the impeller meets the uh, housing and at that particular point these bubbles are formed and they actually create intense shock waves as they implode and this shock wave this 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 hammering of these bubbles is going to actually break the shaft so let's recap here before we move on alrighty so in essence what's going to happen if we look at this in a nutshell a farmer nutshell we don't need to be uh, belabor this because the, the, the physics is not complex but I explained enough to you for it alright the for, what is going to cause cavitation cavitation is either going to be caused by a restriction either it's a inlet restriction or a flow restriction Right, and then this restriction is also going to um, so it's if in let me back up it's an inlet restriction a flow restriction or excessive heating of the bulk fluid the fluid that is being removed so the restriction causes heat the 
restriction in the inlet causes heat, the restriction in the outlet causes heat. In the inlet, you'll be, you be sucking air and fluid, all right? You create a very high vacuum around the uh, region where the uh, shaft goes to the impeller, and on the output side of the pump, a restriction is going to create a great deal of cavitation and harmonics around the extremity of the or the area where the impeller rides or not rides marries near to the housing of the pump and now let's say you have no restriction no restriction whatsoever right can you still have cavitation and the answer is yes and that is just as destructive as a flow restriction because keep in mind let's say that you overheat the fluid that's why a lot of hydraulic systems have coolers on them because as you raise the temperature of the fluid you get near at its point where it starts to boil and become a vapor so if the fluid is excessively heated it will cause cavitation but the cavitation will be from the heating of the fluid and the vapor bubbles forming so that is another way that you could have cavitation and that depending upon where the, f the temperature of the fluid is it could either happen on the inlet side or it usually happens more on the inlet side but that is a problem also and it's really uh, an intermediate I'll use that term cavitation so it's not inlet or discharge so now what do we need to do about this so now that we have a basic understanding of cavitation then what we need to do is talk about eliminating it all right the most common cause of a flow restriction when you're running <clears throat> when you're running a pump is when you're running a pump at a speed that is out of its operating range so if you're supposed to arguably run this pump at 540 rpm let's say it's on a pto and you're running it at 700 rpm or 600 rpm that excessive speed will actually cause cavitation because you will beat up the fluid and raise its temperature so now the flow issue for that could either be on the suction or pressure side or it could be cumulative effect of both so if you overspeed the pump you could have a cavitation caused on the suction side where it's not being able to work efficiently and suck and it starts to bring in entrained air bubbles it starts to boil and make bubbles like pouring soda into a glass all right that has nothing to do with temperature but bubbles or it could be because of a restriction and on the outlet side and the overspeed of the pump you put that together and it's often a cumulative effect it's not uh, you oversped the pump and you have a restriction all right so it is imperative that you have proper and timely maintenance of all the filters and screens and this really goes you know, it sounds so simplistic you know like change your oil on the car and change the filter and the engine will run forever i mean so many guys are not good with changing hydraulic filters and uh by not changing hydraulic filters that you are and you could have a filter on both the inlet and outlet side of the pump depending what it is and you have you're creating the propensity for cavitation so now a sprayer let's say you know, a field sprayer or other applications that have old or weathered rubber hoses 
they can be experiencing a slight collapse on the inside of that hose. You may not see it, the inside of that hose, and thus that's limiting the suction side and creating suction side cavitation. So the hose looks good. That's why you need to feel these hoses. The hose looks good, but the inside lining of the hose is actually collapsing and creating a restriction, and that could be on the on the suction side or the float side, but predominantly a collapsing of the inlet uh, collapsing of the uh, inner part of the hose is usually because it's sucking is more prominent on the suction side because the discharge pressure will actually push against the wall of the hose and kind of keep those walls intact right now the plumbing design the way the plumbing is run on the on the piece of equipment and it's probably is more for a sprayer or an irrigation system or something that's not designed in the factory but uh but the, the rooting of the hoses and the pipe diameter and the amount of turns and the sharpness of those turns, whether it's a 45 or a 90, when you're doing anything like that, they, it's, you, you learn that it's better off to use two 45-degree turns instead of one 90-degree turn because whenever you have a fluid, ask a fluid or a gas, meaning a rarefied form, not gasoline, to make a turn, you have a flow restriction. And... And that could create a, a a potential suction or discharge cavitation. Let's say you re-ran to your sprayer, you re-ran the, the, the hoses from the suction side or from the discharge side or both, and this was not an efficient flow path, is that you will you have the possibility of to start to create cavitation, even if it's minor cavitation, all right, because of the rooting of the plumbing. Well, sometimes some guys may have upgraded to a larger pump, and now the factory piping cannot support it. So if you upgrade to a larger pump, and specifically on the discharge side, is that you may not be getting the full flow out of that pump, and then you're starting to cause discharge side cavitation because you're trying to put a fire hose uh, a, a fire engine pump that could pump a thousand gallons a minute let's say to be, be ridiculous and you're trying to put it through a 5 8 hose well what's going to happen you're going to have that pressure that head is going to start to build up very quickly because you can't have enough flow and you're going to have discharge side cavitation or to be ridiculous you put a 4 inch pipe on to the inlet side and it's designed to have a one inch pipe and it create can't create enough depression which is the low pressure region to suck the fluid the bulk fluid into the pump and you will have inlet side cavitation so in an instance like that you would actually have both you get just enough fluid to get it that you suck it in and you could get enough fluid to have a discharge and then build pressure because of the because of the output of the pump so but as i said in the beginning if the pump fails you need to take it apart and you need to determine what's going on and uh if you just see that if there's and it's very easy to detect because it is uh you'll see metal and everything missing and it'll be lots of times you won't see you'll see like the case the casting specifically of the housing will be pockmarked and it'll look like a poor casting like a porous type of casting and that is the sound and that is cavitation now keep in mind also that with an engine a water pump you could cavitate a water pump if you raise the engine rpm too high when the thermostat is closed and it's only sucking through the bypass system is that you will cavitate the water pump on on an engine the coolant pump but 
keep in mind that if you have an engine that continually eats water pumps and starts to leak, that there's probably a very good idea that your thermostat, uh, you're raising the RPM way too high and for too long, or the thermostat is slow in opening, or the bypass hose is, is collapsing and not uh, allowing enough flow when you're cavitating the pump. So that's basically what we could do. The thing about cavitation is that, as I said in the beginning of today's show, is that just like with cancer, early detection is the key. So now I'm going to break away from it uh, as I start to close here. And one of the greatest things for you to do with all of your hydraulic systems is to take is to get into the habit of doing two different things. Number one, taking fluid samples and sending them to a laboratory. I'm a big one on fluid testing. It's akin, I started this show today about soil testing and doing a Haney test and organic matter. You know, if I just grabbed the soil in my hand, I'd be proud as a peacock and go, man, I really improved the tilt of this soil. Well, I'm really a good farmer. You know, I went away from tillage and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and what have you. But the fact of the matter is, yes, that's valid. But we need to attach numbers to it. And what's great about a hydraulic fluid test is that if you're starting to see some cavitation, then you will be able to see that in usually in elemental metals in that test. And the same thing goes for a coolant test on a diesel engine. If you're starting to see cavitation on the line of cavitation erosion, you're going to start to see elemental metals in that coolant. But since we're talking about hydraulics, you're going to see elemental metals in there and some other materials. And that's going to be the early stages. So early detection like cancer or early detection like with a problem with your crops in the field is paramount to your success. So why would you not, I'm going to reverse it, why would you not want to spend $25 or $30 and take a sample of all of your hydraulic fluid and send it to the lab once a year? And what you want to do is you want to do this in the off-season for that piece of equipment. You don't want to check the hydraulic system. If you're running a hydraulic, hydraulic system onto your planter, uh, or on your, especially your planter, when you're going to start to plant in a week. Because... What you need to do is determine whether you see anything going on in there. And if you do see something going on, then the next thing that you want to do is you need to check the pressure and flow. Now, you know, the most farm shops do not have test equipment to check pressure and flow and temperature of a hydraulic system and a, a good piece of equipment like that is, is expensive i'm not going to deny it's not expensive it's about two thousand dollars and i otc overtana tool company they used to make it i believe they used to do a beautiful test apparatus that you would hook lines up to your hydraulic system depending upon if it's got fittings you could hook into there and you'd be able to check the temperature of the fluid the pressure of the fluid and the flow rate of the fluid in gallons per hour liters whatever your standard is that you're using if you're overseas and using liters per minute now a a hydraulic system that is going to start to that is going to start to cavitate or is cavitating, right, will usually, as I said, talk to you, but you also see a fluctuation in the pressure. Now, on most hydraulic systems, you don't have a convenient way to, mate, to, to 
to monitor the pressure. On a sprayer, you do because you're looking at the spray. It says, okay, you know, I want 45 pounds of pressure with these nozzles to put 20 gallons per acre down. And if you start and you see the needle shaking like anything or, or moving like that, that's a pretty good indication that that pump is experiencing some cavitation. But on the hydraulic drive motors or what have you on a combine tractor, internal hydraulics, you really don't have... Uh, for all intents and purposes, some pieces of equipment may reveal hydraulic pressure on the dashboard, but I do not know of any. And so, but the fact that it matters, it's imperative that you do the fluid test, and then you also need to check the pressures, the flow, and the temperature. Because keep in mind, is that if what we said earlier on, what I said earlier on in the show, is that the temperature of the fluid is going to determine when it turns to i mean the, the the temperature of the fluid is going to determine when the bubbles form so if you start to see the temperature elevate beyond what it normally does that's usually a good indication that some sort of cavitation is occurring and then if you don't have the proper flow and operating pressure and flow at operating pressure then that is an indi- that is the is the the, the fertile ground for cavitation to occur. Now, you know, this is my own personal business, own personal opinion, and you know, you'll have a you'll have a guy in a farm, and I'm not politically correct, so I'll just hit you right between the eyes, right? The guy spends eighty thousand dollars for a pickup truck, right? And then he cries like it cries like hell, to, to and doesn't want to buy a two thousand dollar flow meter system as i spoke about to read hydraulic flow pressure and temperature on all of his equipment not just dedicated to one but he'll spend eighty thousand dollars on a pickup truck and then and he doesn't buy the equipment he truly needs to keep his operation going i would personally rather spend forty thousand dollars for a pickup truck because i don't want to spend any money like that for a pickup truck but the reality is you have to because that forty thousand dollar pickup truck is not going to carry any less of a load than the $80,000 one and it gives me $40,000 more to put into my farm operation be it for proper equipment for better maintenance for 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 anything else than that differential of the the plus 40,000 extra for that pickup truck and so when you say well man crop prices aren't that good and this is that good and the weather's not that good and blah 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 and everything not arguing with you I agree. And then the guy pulls up into town with the $85,000 pickup truck, and I would rather buy the proper equipment, the proper tools, or put the proper fertility into my farm, the proper genetics into my seed, or say I need to run irrigation more this year, or I need to dry my grain more instead of trying to crimp there. And it's very important for you to be able to check. So the fluid, the fluid chemically... And then through pressure, flow, and temperature by a proper test tool. And that is that is imperative. And keep in mind that by doing this, the chemical analysis and the pressure, you're actually putting eyes into your hydraulic system. You're doing, taking like an x-ray into the hydraulic system without taking it apart. Now keep in mind also is that when you start to have cavitation regardless of pressure side or suction side cavitation is that those granted they're minute but you're starting to put all those little pieces of metal into the hydraulic system 
and that those little tiny gritty pieces of metal over time are going to cause excessive wear in other parts of the system so you had a pump that was cavitating because you had a restriction let's say on the suction side a hose was collapsing or a screen or a screen was uh was uh or a screen was plugged up right so now you're riding riding running you're happy as a lock you're running your plant that's spraying whatever you want to do and now you're putting all of this little metal into this system and this abrasiveness and it's whatever is in that system is taking so if you have a hydraulic pump and you're running a hydraulic motor someplace to a wheel drive motor now you're causing excessive wear in that motor because you're putting all this metal to it not good alrighty early detection is the best thing is the best medicine and the other thing to keep in mind is that if the fluid has a lot of moisture in it or is, is, is a poor grade fluid and not a fluid that that manufacturer requires. Remember, there are no true industry standards for hydraulic fluid, tractor fluid, and that's why it's so imperative for you to use the fluid that the manufacturer says and not buy that cheap five-gallon bucket of fluid that's universal, all right, because it doesn't have the additive package in it for that particular hydraulic system. So remember, heat and a flow restriction either on the suction side or the output side, the discharge side, is what causes uh, cavitation. And if you catch it ahead of time, you will have a hydraulic system that will outlast the rest of the machine other than the hoses degrading. Alrighty, so now we're going to go to, that I yelled at you, we're going to go to the special delivery segment, and special delivery is where we get letters from people into the website or the show here, the podcast, Idle Chatter, and is proudly brought to you by Firestone Ag. And as you all know that Harvey Firestone, he was a fourth generation farmer from Columbiana, Ohio, outside of Youngstown. And Harvey, you know, he, he was in the tire business, but his love, his passion, his heart was with farms. And he dreamt about putting the farmer on, on pneumatic tires, on rubber tires. And that same mindset of advancement and improvement to help agriculture and to make the farmer not only more productive, to make his life easier, still lives on today in Firestone Ag. And you could see it very, very clearly in their 23-degree tread bar design, industry standard 23-degree tread bar, and their advanced AD2 technology IF and VF tires, and now their replacement tracks. So the Firestone of tracks. So the soil is the lifeblood of your farm. Trust it only to Firestone. Now we have a letter today from a gentleman, Elias in Montana, and he has a 1994 case 9370 with an N14 Cummins and he says it runs and starts great but at about 75 hours of usage he uh it starts to uh 75 hours on the oil I should say it starts to use a gallon in 12 hours and it seems that the blow by increases and he wanted to know my thoughts on it uh, basically in essence um I did speak to Elias the other day before I did this show, so I got a little bit more information, and I asked him, what to me, what I think is happening is I think he has a leaky, one or two leaky, or maybe six leaky injectors in that N14 Cummins, because he says when he's specifically pulls, he grows wheat up in Montana, and he pulls a big air seeder, and I asked him whether he saw a haze from the exhaust, and he says, yes, he sees a slight black haze from the exhaust and uh, 
when he's when the tractor is working so it's not bad but you could see just a little bit if you if you squint and concentrate for it and i really think it's that he's putting fuel in the uh in the engine oil the crankcase oil and that's why it's taking him about 75 hours to get to that point where he actually starts to degrade the oil to such an extent that it's uh ends up burning it and going past the rings and his blow by and everything increases so what i told him to do is that so i'm sharing this with you after the fact and i'll give you an update when i get more information he he does have fresh oil in it it's uh they're going to be going out in the field. They're going to start the plant. And he's going to keep records. Uh, he's going to check the oil every day. And then in about 75 hours or so, 65 hours, whenever it happens, he starts to use more oil. We're going to pull an oil sample and we're going to send it to the lab. And it's going to determine why that oil is starting to be consumed. And I tend to think that it's going to have fuel in it. I think he's putting a little bit of fuel in. I think the injector is dripping on the exhaust stroke and the fluid the fuel is going past the rings and that's why it takes 75 hours of being loaded for that to happen and that is not good either because it's ruining its lubricity so i think that's what he's up against there i don't think it's anything major the fact that the engine starts and runs fine and doesn't use oil or do anything until a 75 hour mark is probably the indicator of it putting some fuel in the oil and i will let you know as i get more information as Elias in Montana is putting in 5,000 acres of wheat so that old N14 Cummins is going to be working pulling that air seeder and I think he basically just needs to uh, either run a good amount of injector cleaner through it or I would probably pull the, the nozzles out and send them to a pump shop and have them go through it and clean them and set the pop-off pressures on them. So that is it. Listen, thank you so much for listening today. And I hope you have a blessed and safe week and getting some seed in the ground wherever you are. And I'm hoping to get ready to do that also. And know that the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher, and my beloved, beloved America. You take care and thanks for listening. Bye-bye.